Good morning. Man, I'm so happy that you guys are here today. I know it's kind of crowded in here, but I will tell you, as almost always in every church across America today, no matter how crowded it is, plenty of room on the front row. So feel free to come on down if you need to be, if you need more space, we got it. It's just all right here. So glad that you're here. Today we are beginning a new sermon series. As you can see up there, it's called Peace of Mind. And we're going to be talking about something that is basically a universal problem. We're going to be talking about mental illness and mental health. And I'll just tell you, whether, whether we know it or not, and whether we accept it or not, the truth is that probably every family in this room is struggling with a mental health issue or has struggled with a mental health issue or will struggle with a mental health issue. Um, According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, about 25% of adults in the United States, 25% of adults in the United States, over 50 million people, will struggle this year with a diagnosable mental disorder. And that's just adults. And that's just diagnosable. And that's just this year. It just seems like the last couple of years have been really hard I think, on our mental health. Um, I can tell you that locally, since uh, February of 2020, in Comal County, suicides are up 400%. And the most profound increase is not among adults, and it's not among adolescents. It's actually among children. And by the way, cases of child abuse, domestic violence, and rape are up about 600%. So that's, I think, telling us something. And if we're, if we're typical, which I know we're way above average in every way, but if we're typical of Americans, then that means that a quarter of the adults that you see in the room today and about 20% of the kids that you see in church today are struggling with, at some level at least, with some sort of mental health issue. And these, these people and their families are really trying to cope with something that is really hard because mental health aspects, it, it affects every part. Every, every part of your life is impacted. Your, your school and your work and your relationships and your marriages and families, even your walk with Jesus. And, you know, these, these mental disorders and mental illness, they're, they're not only debilitating and heartbreaking for the person that's trying to deal with them, they can be crushing to the people that love them. And I, I'm becoming more and more aware that for people that struggle with their mental health or the friends and family that love them, it can be really hard to find healing. And it can be really hard to find help. And it can be really hard to even hold on to hope. And that's partially because of this really strange like stigma that's around um, mental health and especially around mental illness. And so like, that's what we're going to focus on today. I think that, that stigma, we got we to gotta clear some of that out. We, we got to get rid of some of that to create space for healing. And it's too often when somebody expresses or somebody's struggling with their mental health, instead of like compassion and instead of real help, what they hear is like 
bad advice, you know. Um, like, you know what you need to do, right? You just need to buck up, you know. You just need, just don't feel that way anymore. How about that, right? Just stop. Don't, don't worry. Be happy. We got a song and everything for that. And I think we're just so under-informed about this stuff. And so we have this feeling that, like, well, if you're depressed, if you're unhappy, why don't you just remove the thing that's making you unhappy, and then you'll be happy, right? If you're feeling anxious, if you're scared, then why don't you just confront that thing that you're scared of, and then you won't have to be scared anymore. Come on, man. You're an American, right? You're, you're, a, you're a Texan. So, you know, cowboy up, right? Like, be stronger than that. Just take charge and just, just get over it. And we say those things as if mental illness is some sort of a choice or a weakness or a lack of effort. Can you see how that makes the problem worse? Making hurting people feel like they're somehow like less than, right? Like they're, they're weaker than someone who doesn't have the same struggles. And I hate to admit this, but you know who's sometimes even worse about promoting this damaging stigma, even worse than Americans, even worse than Texans, Christians, because we add like a whole nother layer of stigma, a whole nother layer of guilt to people that are already struggling because now we call into question their faith or we imply that, you know, they're sinful or something. It reminds me of, remember um, when Jesus was traveling around with the disciples, this is like John 9, I think, and they run into this man and he's blind. He spent his life in darkness, right? This is hard. He's going through this horrible thing. And what did the disciples say to Jesus? Like, what caused this? Was it his sin? Was it his parents' sin? And Jesus is like, no. That has nothing to do, but like my question, and that is, who would say that? Like, this guy hasn't been through enough, and now we're gonna put it on him? Oh, it must be because you don't have enough faith. You must have sinned. Maybe your parents sinned. It's your fault, and I, that, man, who would ever, who would ever say something like that to somebody that's already hurting? We would never do that, right? Right? Maybe not intentionally. But here, here are some things that I think well-meaning Christians might think or even say to somebody that's struggling in their mental health. And even though there are like little elements of truth in each one of these statements, just I want you to, when you hear this, just think about how hurtful and how damaging and how harmful these statements might be. Somebody, somebody that's really struggling with depression or anxiety or PTSD or one of these really hard, schizophrenia, really hard things. They don't, they don't wanna be there, man. They just want out, they just want help and they're just really trying to find some kind of healing and some kind of help and some kind of hope. And so they go to their Christian friend and they tell them what's going on and their Christian friend says to them, well, what do you mean you're depressed? You don't have anything to be depressed about. And you know, the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if you don't have the joy of the Lord, maybe you better just get right with God. 
can you see how crushing that would be for somebody that was already struggling there? What do you mean you have anxiety? The Bible says be anxious for nothing. So there you go. You know what you need to do? Just give it to God. You know, let go and let God. That's what I do. That's how I roll. So the problem solved. You know, who's next? Imagine, you're, you're overcome with fear. You're, you, you can't, you, you're overcome, your life is trashed because of fear. The Bible says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So you just need to replace your fear with faith. PTSD? Come on. Quit living in the past. You know what you need to do? You need to forgive. You need to do like Paul. He says, I forget the past and I press on. Come on, man. You're an American. You're a Texan. You're a Christian. You shouldn't have mental health issues. You know what you do? You just take authority over those things. And again, we, we mean well. And every one of those things has like a little tiny shred, a little element of truth in it. But I'm telling you, those types of statements and those like attitudes and those ways of looking at mental health are not helpful. And they are not loving. They're hurtful. And they're, they're dangerous. We have to stop that. We have to stop that. If we're going to find healing, we got to start with this. We got to get past this first. Just imagine somebody desperate for help, and that's the response they get from Christians. Do you see how hurtful that is? Do you see how that would set them back? I talked to a friend this week, and he told me about a struggle that he had with depression, I mean, decades ago. This is back, he's in college and he's working full time. He was on staff at a church and his wife was in college and working full time, two kids, and they're running and going and you know, they're at that crazy stage of life. And he just like hit this wall of depression to the point that he couldn't function as a student. He couldn't function in his ministry. He couldn't function on the job. He couldn't function as a husband or a dad. He can't sleep at night. He can't eat. He's losing all this weight. He's falling apart. And he's starting to think about giving up because he just can't see any hope. And he can't find any help. And he doesn't really know if there's any healing. And so he just begins to say, oh, maybe I'll just drop out of school. Maybe I'll just quit my job. And his wife, thankfully, convinced him, no, we got to find you some help. And so he meets a psychiatrist, and it really helps him. And they give him some medication. And, and now all of a sudden, he starts experiencing a little bit of, he got help. Right? And now he starts having a little bit of healing. And now he starts feeling like, well, maybe it's not helpless. Maybe it's not hopeless. And so, man, you know, maybe I'm going to overcome this thing. So he goes to talk to his pastor, who is also his boss. And he starts unpacking to this man that he loves and respects and looks up to and sees as his spiritual leader. And he starts telling him what he's been through. And his pastor says to him, wow, I would never let that happen to me. So what that pastor is telling him is, it's your fault. You're not strong enough, right? You don't have enough faith. You gotta be like me. That could never happen to me because I'm strong and I have this incredible faith. And I'm gonna tell you, he told me this story this week. It's been, I don't know, 
30 years. And I'm telling you, the tears. As he's telling that story, just showed, I mean, the guy was crushed enough without having his pastor say those things to him. And of course, that pastor didn't mean to, to, to cause hurt, right? He didn't, he didn't want to, to make things worse, but do you see how he did cause hurt? And do you see how he did make things, that was like a setback. Let me ask you, you remember that passage in the Bible where Jesus meets this man, and this man is just utterly broken, and he comes to Jesus in his pain and in humility, and he just says, man, I just need help. Will you help me? And Jesus criticized him and told him he was weak and added to his pain. Remember that passage? You know why you don't remember that passage? Because it's not in there, right? That never happened. That never happened. Followers of Jesus, Jesus said he came. Are we following him, right? We're following him. He said he came to give good news. He came to proclaim freedom and hope for the oppressed. He came to bring healing and serve the broken. He came to love and to help struggling people not make their problems worse. And this is not about that pastor being mean or hateful or something. It, it's really more about a lack of understanding. So today I have a modest goal. We're not leaving here today with that same lack of understanding. So we're gonna talk about this stigma around mental health issues, especially for Christians, and why it's not only hurtful and why it's not only damaging practically, it is just so wrong theologically and biblically. Um, so we're gonna do a little biblical theology today on mental health. Since it is biblical theology, and since you know me, does anybody wanna guess where we're starting? The, Bible. the Bible's good. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Can you guess where? Of course, that's where we always start. We're going back to the garden, man. We're going back to, let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter two. Um, biblical theology, here it comes. God created this perfect world, and for like his grand finale, he created these really super amazing creatures that are kind of like him, right? He says, let's create them in our image. And do you remember what their names were? Adam and Eve, and we know our Hebrew, we know that Adam, Adam means human, and Eve means life in Hebrew, and so God has created human life. And he has created these awesome, amazing, image-bearing creatures. Um, Psalm 139 says that they are wonderfully complex, and that is what they are, way more complex than the rest of creation completely different than other like plants or, or other animals because these creatures, these human beings created in God's image are made up of several different parts, right? Several different dimensions, um, several different aspects. So they're physical beings for sure. They've got bodies and skin and bones and livers and toenails and brains and lungs like a million other creatures. But one of the big differences between them and the rest of creation is that because they're made in God's image, they're physical beings, and at the same time, they're also spiritual beings. And so, like God, they have an eternal spirit. And that spirit, that's, like, that's who they really are. 
right? And that spirit, the spiritual being, kind of lives inside of this physical being. So they're, they're physical beings, and at the same time, they're spiritual beings, and at the same time, they're mental beings. And, and not just that they have physical brains, because all animals have brains, but humans have like a completely different capacity to understand abstract concepts and to think and plan and love and reason and understand and create and relate to the world around them because humans, like God, are mental beings. And this is, I've been really working on this. It's hard to understand because there's like some really um, fuzzy lines between these different aspects of who we are. So like, if you think of you, who you really are, who you are, right? Your spirit, your soul, right? Spiritual you, who you are. That's different than your mind, right? It's separate. It's connected. It's separate. Your, your, your spirit, your you, is different than your mind. And then your mind is different than physical you. It's different than your brain, right? Your, your brain's not your mind, right? Your, your spirit's not your mind. So it's, it's like a really wonderfully complex thing that he's created here. You know, the Hebrews, back in the day, the Israelites thought that the thought process originated where? In your gray matter? Your heart, right? They thought that's where also, that, they thought it's like that where your spirit lived was in your heart. And that's why we hear all this translation stuff where it talks about your heart and your mind. How many times have you seen that in the Bible, right? Your heart and your mind. And that's why. Because they had like, they thought that this was where thought processes started. And we know now that it starts up here with chemicals and electrical stuff and all that going on in your brain. So this is really, really fascinating, honestly. Um, I don't know. Our mind and our brain and our spirit, we're made up of all of these different things. We're physical beings, we're spiritual beings, we're mental be beings, and at the same time, we're also relational beings. So these creatures were created specifically to live in relationship with God and with each other. And so these, these humans are wonderfully complex, man. They are physical beings, spiritual beings, mental beings, relational beings, and that language is all through the Bible. When you're reading the Bible, and, and think about how many times you see language like this. So here's an example. Uh, Jesus said in Mark 12:30, "You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength." What's he saying? He's saying, you should love God with like all of you, right? This holistic all of who you are. Um, look how um, Luke describes Jesus. Remember the story when Jesus got lost when he was like 12 and then they found him? And then at the end of that story, Luke tells us that Jesus grew up. This is Luke 2.52. Jesus grew up in wisdom, mentally. He grew in stature, physically. He grew in favor with God, spiritually. And he grew in favor with people, relationally. So God created these multi-dimensional, marvelous mud creatures, right? And he, and he gave them a choice. Um, a, they could fully trust him and they could live in his provision and his power and his love and with his definition of right and wrong, A. 
or they could be rebel against God and try to live in their own provision and power and love and with their own definition of right and wrong. Which one did they choose, A or B? I'm sorry? B, they went with B, and so we call that the fall of man. And when Adam and Eve fell, human life fell. And, and, and we all fell, and we fell hard. And the impact of that fall completely broke mankind. Um, every part, every dimension, every aspect. So physically, now people were gonna die, right? They were designed to live forever, but now that's over. We're gonna die now. Um, spiritually, it says after that, they were separated from God. They were kicked out of the garden, right? Um, relationally, now men and women were gonna live with this weird curse between them. Mentally, I mean, every, everything about mankind was broken, and that brokenness has been passed down through hundreds of generations to Comal County, right, in 2023, and now we all have inherited this brokenness that we can't fix, and to some degree, all of us are broken physically, and spiritually, mentally, relationally. Good words here, but God loved us so much that he sent Jesus so that anybody that believed in him could be saved from their brokenness. And Jesus came for that purpose. He came to redeem us. He came to restore us. He came to, to heal us of our brokenness. And when we experience salvation, when we experience Jesus, then we are, we are transformed, the Bible says, into new creatures. And that transformation starts spiritually. So that at salvation, spiritual you gets renewed, right? We become a new creation. In Romans 8, it says at that moment, what happens is his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And do you remember what we called that last week? That's, that's personal, or that's positional justification. And in that moment, your spirit is made right with God. Right then, your spirit is completely, perfectly made right with God. Your spirit is. But the rest of you, your, your body and your mind and your relationship, that's, that's a work in progress. And remember the verse we talked about last week. It's in Philippians 1. And verse six says, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, I'm certain that God who began the good work in you, right, he already fixed the spirit, that's good deal, I'm, I'm certain that the God that started that good work in you will now continue his work until it's finally finished on the day that Christ Jesus returns. So now, this is where we live, right? We're in this really strange place as Christians because our spiritual selves are perfect, right? We're golden, now, we're, we're perfect now, spiritually, but the rest of us, our bodies and our minds and our relationships are not new yet. And they won't be fully new, it says, until Christ Jesus returns. In fact, that same chapter in Romans 8, it talks about what it's like, that we're waiting for this day when the rest of us will catch up with spiritual 
us, right? So this is gonna be Romans 8, 22, and it's talking about, you know, when man fell, the world fell, and everything's been in disarray and chaos and a disaster ever since, and look what it says. Um, for we know all creation has been groaning, is in the pains of childbirth, just waiting for this thing to happen right up until the present time. Look at 23. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. So we're groaning too, man. We're waiting for perfection to come too, right? And that's us, that's humanity, that's us. We're still groaning, we have the Holy Spirit in us as a foretaste of future glory. You know why we're groaning? It's us, because we long for the rest of us, right? We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his, he finished the work, right? He'll give us our full rights as adopted children, including these new bodies that he's promised us. So that is gonna be sweet, right? Someday. And all the old people said. So if you're a Christian, spiritual you is good to go, right? Holy Spirit's in you, and he is, his spirit is mixing in with your spirit, and he is giving you a taste of what total redemption and healing look like. But physical you, mental you, relational you, it's gonna be a little more of a gradual work in progress, and it won't be completely finished. He's sad. He might start now. We might get better, but it won't be completely finished until Jesus comes back, and on that day, he will finish his work in us, and he will redeem us, and he will restore us, and he will make us perfect, and he will heal every part of us. And you can read about that day in Revelation chapter 21. So there you go. That is Genesis to Revelation in seven minutes. <laughs> so is anybody still with me? <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Um, so let's, let's review. Let's review. So in the garden, God created these amazing, wonderfully complex beings, and when man chose his way instead of God's way, mankind crashed and burned, and they were completely broken physically, mentally, spiritually, relationally, and Jesus is ultimately gonna heal us, and he's gonna redeem us and restore every part of us, and at salvation, he did that. He restored us spiritually, and the rest has to wait. Is that a better version? Um, do you agree with that? Is that what yours says? That, that, I think that's the biblical story. Okay, so here we are back at our original thing, right? So when, when, when we became, when somebody becomes a Christian, should we expect the mental part of them to suddenly be 100% perfect? Um, should, should, as Christians, should we just be done with our mental brokenness? Um, well, let me ask, let me ask you this. Um, did this happen for you um, physically? at salvation. So how many of you at salvation, you lifted your hands to Jesus and said, thank you for saving me. And then you said, oh my gosh, I've got amazing guns. <laughs> what, what happened? This is awesome. And you looked and you praised Jesus. I've got rock hard abs now. This is amazing, right? Sanctified buns of steel. <laughs> This is something really, praise Jesus, man. Did anybody, I, who, who here, the day you got saved, threw your glasses away? Right? Who here, when you were baptized, 
came up out of the water and spit out all your fillings, right? I don't need those anymore, right? I'm a whole now, baby. I'm a new creation in Jesus. How many of you, and let's be straight, man. When you were saved, how many of you threw away your Claritin? (laughs) Zip, right? Zip. Was anybody here, and be prepared to come on stage and prove it, was anybody here made perfect physically on the day that you were made perfect spiritually? No. Also, we're relational beings. So how many of you, when you got saved, instantly your relationships were suddenly perfect? I mean, a lot of our relationships got worse when we got saved, right? So, no. Are you, salvation was a spiritual renewal and healing, and it was the beginning of our total healing. But we weren't suddenly perfect physically or relationally, so why would we expect? that we would suddenly be perfect mentally. And I'll tell you something else. Even if you don't struggle with debilitating, diagnosable mental illness, and you're, no, that could never happen to me, right? Do you have any mental struggles? Even if maybe it's not, maybe it's not ruining your life, but can you at least see the, the, the propensity for brokenness? Right? Can you at least see a little crack in you? I mean, do you ever have like a little depression? Right? Do you ever, do you, have you ever felt some anxiety? Right? I will, I will tell you for me, um, so it's not a big secret, I'm not anxious about heights. I'm scared of heights, right? And listen, it's an irrational fear. I get it. I get it. You, you can't convince me not to be scared. Right? I, it's irri- I get it. I'm nervous on a six-foot ladder. Right? I'm, I take two steps, and I'm like, oh, no. You know, <laughs> what could happen? What could happen? And it's like, what could happen? I mean, if I fell off, it wouldn't even hurt. Right? And yet, right, there's this shaking, and like, <sighs> you know, I just it makes, I get that thing going. And I know it's irrational. Obviously, it's irrational, right? And it's really fun to make fun of me. But let's talk about you. <laughs> right? I mean, is there anything... Is there anything, spiders, anything that you have like an ira- One of the smartest, strongest men I know is scared of spiders. I mean, that's an irrational fear, dude. Step on it. <laughs> what could happen, right? That's irrational. I'll give you another one in case you're still high and mighty. How about public speaking? <laughs> and a groan went up. Uh, <laughs> so I don't want to make fun of Margaret because she's not here today, but... No, I will. Uh, <laughs> so you guys know my wife, Margaret. So she's awesome, and she loves people. And so before church, it's common for her to walk through the lobby. She'll talk to 100 people, 200 people. Man, she loves talking to people. Really, before church, Margaret might talk to 200 different people and love every second of every conversation. But if those 200 people are in a group, and you give her a microphone, suddenly she's afraid of those people. That's an irrational fear. She wasn't scared of them when they were individual. I don't know, she's afraid they're gonna attack her as a mob or something. What, why is it scarier to talk to a group of people than it is to talk to each one of these people? That's, listen, that's an irrational fear. 
being afraid of heights is an irrational fear. Don't tell me you've never been alone in your house in the middle of the night and heard a sound and, and right? We've all had that, your mind just, is just spinning. And I know, for me, I'll just talk for me, I know that that fear is, this is the expression we use, it's in my head, right? The danger is not real. It's just, it's, it's, it's mental. This is, a, a, this is broken mentalness. Uh, this is a broken mental part of me. And so I think if we're straight, right, if we're really honest, not only physically, not only relationally, every one of us probably has some struggle. Even if you're saved, we have some struggle with mental health. And so this idea, this, this stigma that a Christian can't or shouldn't struggle with mental illness our mental health problems, it, it doesn't make sense. And worse than not making sense, it gets in the way of people getting the help that they need and, 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 and it becomes a stumbling block for them to finding healing and, and, and in their faith. And it just, it makes problems worse. Plus it's just stupid. I mean, no, it's not stupid. It's stupid. It's, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense biblically. It doesn't make sense theologically. Unless we're also gonna say that a Christian should never struggle with physical illness or with relational brokenness. So at, at, this, at this time in history, the biblical truth is we're all broken, right? And mental brokenness is no more a sign of weakness or a lack of faith or a lack of spirituality than physical brokenness or relational brokenness. So quick illustration just to clarify this. <clears throat> you guys know who Robert Emmett is? How many of you know who Robert Emmett is? A lot of you do. So Robert was the pastor. I think we got a picture of him. There's Robert. And um, so Robert was my pastor for many, many, many years over at the big CBC before we started this CBC. And I'm gonna tell you that of the people I've met in my life, there is not one that I admire more than that one. Just an amazing dude. He started a church with like 70 people and grew it to about 10,000 people. And he, is, he knows the word like nobody. And I'm telling you, he's, he's the best preacher I've ever heard. He's just this awesome, he's a great dad. He's a great husband. He's a great friend. He's a marginal golfer. <laughs> he's a great dude in almost every single way, right? He, Robert has probably baptized more people than I've met, right? This is an accomplished, spiritual, strong, he's an Aggie, he's got it all, right? I mean, the guy is just amazing. And Robert struggles with chronic depression. And it almost killed him a few years ago. And he was hospitalized for weeks. He couldn't work for months. It was a really, really, really big deal. And he found healing, and it's medical. And now he takes a little, his body doesn't make serotonin, and I'm not gonna pretend that I understand neurotransmitters, but serotonin tells you that you're happy, right? So when something good happens, you get a rush of serotonin that's telling you, oh, you should be happy now, and so you feel that happiness, right? Is that pretty close? Claudia's our psychologist here, is that right? That's what serotonin is. Okay, so Robert's body doesn't make serotonin. Your body makes serotonin, and that's what offsets sadness. It makes you feel happy, and his doesn't make serotonin. And so he takes a pill 
And you know what it's called? Happy pastor pill. That's what he calls it. And so he takes this pill every day. He's golden. He's living his life. Everything is wonderful. That's great. Here's another story of another amazing pastor, me. Right? So here's me, like Robert, spiritually renewed. Man, I am a new creation in Christ spiritually. But guess what? My body doesn't make good cholesterol. Your body makes good cholesterol. That's what it's supposed to do. Mine doesn't. And so guess what I have to do? I take a little pill, right? Lipitor, right? And if I don't take Lipitor, then I will die because my body doesn't make good cholesterol. If Robert doesn't take his happy pastor pill, he will die, right? We're exactly the same. There's something that his body is supposed to produce that it doesn't, and if he doesn't do something about it, it'll kill him. There's something my body does, is supposed to produce, but it doesn't. And if I don't do something about that, it will kill me. We're both renewed new creations in Christ spiritually, and we're both broken, just in a little bit different ways. So this brokenness, the rest of our brokenness, we're managing for now, and we're trusting and hoping and believing that someday Jesus is going to make us whole physically, mentally, relationally as well as we are spiritually. So how you guys doing? Doing okay? So this is the first day, right? This is like introduction of this series on mental health. Um, so like where are we starting this thing, right? Where, where, where are we at? Um, I think it depends on where you are now. So first, let me say this. Um, if you don't struggle at all with your mental health right now, number one, praise God. Right, that's awesome, you should be happy about that. And number two, as parts of the body of Christ, we should try to be figuring out how you can be a part of the healing and the help and the hope for people who are struggling. And maybe it starts with not being part of the problem. All right, maybe it starts, maybe it starts with this. Don't stigmatize, sympathize, empathize and realize that we're all broken. And that's at least, don't be part of the problem. And maybe through this series, it can help us be even part of the solution. Or maybe, if we're someone that doesn't struggle like this, this series can help strengthen us for a battle that we're gonna be facing later. Or maybe it can help us take better care of our own mental health. So that's if you don't struggle at all in your mental health right now. If you do struggle, with your mental health right now, then four things. Uh, number one, welcome to humanity, right? We're all broken. And I'm really sorry. I'm really sad that you're having to deal with this particularly painful brokenness right now. And I want to tell you that God is sad too. Because this brokenness all around was not the plan. That's not what he wants. 
is going to fix it. It's just a process. Number two, I'm really sorry if other Christians have made it worse by this stigma, by making you feel like somehow your brokenness was worse than theirs. And number three, your illness or this brokenness, this struggle does not define you, right? That might be where you are, but that's not who you are. Because if you're a believer, then who you are is a child of God. And you're created in his image. And you're full of his spirit. And Jesus sees you as a brother or as a sister that he was willing to die for. Number four, I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. Right? I'm not any kind of expert. And I am not offering you some silly instant fix to these real struggles. But I really do think Jesus wants to use this series to bring you some healing and some help and some hope. And maybe, maybe he'll just heal you instantly. I mean, it happens in the Bible, right? And maybe he'll, maybe he'll take you out of this struggle just like that, right? Maybe he will for me. Maybe he'll take away my fear of heights. Maybe he'll fix my cholesterol stuff. Maybe he'll help me get rid of these glasses. Maybe he'll do all of that. And we're not afraid to ask him for that. But I just want to tell you that whether Jesus takes you out of this struggle or he takes you through this struggle, he's with you in this struggle. And he cares about you and he cares about what you're going through. And he loves you. He hates the brokenness in all of us. That wasn't his plan, but he loves you exactly as you are. And then lastly, if, if you love someone who is struggling with this mental health issue, any mental health issue, I just, I can't imagine how hard you must be struggling. And so I just, I think Jesus wants to offer you some healing and some help and some hope. And I hope the series can be part of that, but also I want to tell you about a life group, a support group that is designed for you. It's, it's, it's intentionally made to bring healing and help and hope to people who love someone who's dealing with mental health issues. And the group is called Journey of Hope, and it's all about supporting and encouraging each other and offering um, emotional and biblical resources for anybody that loves somebody that's struggling in their mental health. And it starts next week, and if that's a group that you'd like to be a part of, all you have to do is walk out the doors there, and you'll see the little table, and you can get signed up for that group. So it's the first day, and you know, we're gonna get rid of this first thing first. Next week, we'll start talking a little bit about healing. So that's it, let's pray. I got a couple things for you after that. Jesus, wow, we, we love you, and we see that you've created us for this perfect relationship with you and with each other. You've created us to have these bodies that live forever. You've created us to have the spiritual connectedness to you and to each other. You've, you've given us these minds to be able to think and, and reason and create and love, and you've just created this perfect being in us, and we messed it up. And now, Lord, we, first of all, we repent of that, and we come to you knowing that you're the only one that can restore us. You're the only one that can redeem us. You're the only one that can fix us. You're the only one that can heal all of our brokenness. You're the only one that can save us from this brokenness. 
And so, Lord, I just, I just, will you please do that? Will you just heal us? We're, man, we're not afraid to ask you. We know you can cure us instantly if you choose to. And if that's your will, Lord, we just pray that you will just do instant, supernatural, amazing healings in us. But also, Lord, we know that a lot of times you choose to heal us spiritually and then we gotta wait, right? We gotta wait for this process to happen and it won't be fully finished until Jesus gets back. And so between now and then, God, will you just remind us of your love for us? And will you just help us to seek you for our healing? Will you just help us to love each other in spite of our differences and in spite of our brokenness? And will you just give us what only you can really give us? Will you give us your hope for complete healing complete redemption and complete salvation. And Lord, we thank you because you're the only one that can do it. And we lift that all up to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a couple things before you go. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about healing in our mental health. So, like, what about, like, supernatural healings? Is that a real thing? Is that, does that still happen? Was that just in the Bible? Are those stories made up? Does it work for us? How does that work? Also, like, what about therapy? And what about medication? And, and, and do we have to choose between faith and medicine? So that's next week. And one thing we're gonna be stressing throughout this process is help, is that we want to get help. We want to offer help, we want to receive help. And so we have printed up these little cards, uh, mental health resources that might be helpful to you, just some community stuff, some different groups and companies and organizations that might be helpful to you. We got these in the Connection Center, so if you know somebody that might benefit from that, you might pick one of those up. And then the last thing is, if you are caring for someone, if you love someone that's struggling with any sort of mental health issues, I hope you'll sign up for that group, Journey of Hope. That's it. God bless you. I love you. Have a great day.